Good evening. My name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. Will you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our crucified Redeemer. Amen. Of all the gospel writers, John is the most unique. He records events that other writers leave out. Uh, He leaves out events that other writers record. And whenever he records the same events, he tells them from a different perspective. We could think of John as our British-American taxi cab driver. He always brings us to the right destination. It's just that he insists on using the left lane. (laughs) Think back for a moment to the passion narrative that we just read. Where was Jesus' agony in the garden? His stumbling on the way to the cross. His crying out in abandonment from the cross. John doesn't include these things. In fact, he describes for us Jesus' crucifixion in the simplest of phrases. They crucified him. That's it. No nails. No anguish. Really nothing that tells us anything about the pain of the cross or the emotions that Jesus must have felt in those hours. Now, why does John do this? Why does he choose not to include these raw details of Jesus' death? It's not that he wants us to dismiss or downplay Jesus' sufferings. He does, after all, tell us, as we've just heard, about the crown of thorns and the beatings and the mockings. He even goes out of his way to tell us this moving exchange between Jesus and his mother at the foot of the cross. So John doesn't want us to dismiss Jesus' sufferings, He tells us about them, but he doesn't want us to stop there. And he doesn't want us to pity Jesus as a victim. Instead, he wants us to see Jesus' sufferings as signs, right? Signs in John's gospel that point us to the deeper realities. And when we look at these deeper realities through the lens of the cross, we can begin to understand how the worst Friday in human history actually turned out to be the very best. Look with me, first of all, um, at chapter 19 of John's Gospel, verses 19 through 22. John 19, 19 through 22, where John records for us this heated conversation between Pilate 
and the chief priests. Jesus has been crucified, and Pilate has just written an inscription upon the cross that reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now these inscriptions, they were part of the Roman custom. It was the Roman version of the scarlet letter. It was an announcement to the watching world of the crime that had deserved this kind of punishment. And you see, the Romans were masters at punishment. And they were even better at public humiliation and shaming. That was their justice system. And that's why the cross was their preferred, even favorite means of execution, because it combined both of the things that they held most dear. It was painful, and it was public. The victims would be stripped down, nailed down, and hoisted up just outside the city, the city off of a main highway so that everyone would see everything, including the reason for their punishment. So the cross, the Roman cross, was absolutely brutal. And for the Romans, it was an effective means of keeping the peace. Because everyone who passed by and saw knew that that would happen to them if they ever attempted something similar. But it's at this point in John's narrative that we see evil begin to work against itself. Uh, Some of the early church fathers would even say that evil, this quasi-personal force, took the bait that it, was, it had an appetite that was insatiable. Pilate has written the inscription in three different languages. In Aramaic, for all the Jews. In Latin, for all the Roman soldiers who were stationed in that area. And in Greek, for anyone who might be traveling internationally. That way, the whole world could know about Jesus the King. But when the chief priests, when they suspect that Pilate might be insulting them and insulting their people, they insist that he change it. Verse 21, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. In other words, wait, wait, wait. This isn't our king. We never claimed him to be our king. Don't put that on us. You're giving us a bad reputation. But Pilate refuses to change it. What I have written, I have written. Now, are we to think that Pilate believed in Jesus? I don't think so. In fact, I don't think that he believed that Jesus was the king anymore then the chief priests who delivered Jesus to him believed that Jesus was the king. 
So why does John include this conversation in his narrative? He includes it so that we will see God's upside-down way of announcing to the whole world that Jesus is now in charge. You may recall in chapter 11, just as John recalled in our passion narrative, how the high priest Caiaphas spoke more than he knew when he said that one man should die for the people. Caiaphas, of course, had intended those words for evil. But God in his sovereignty was behind it, intending it for good, for his plan. And a similar thing is happening here with Pontius Pilate. God is using his evil, his insatiable desire for brutality, along with all the Romans to announce to the whole world through the cross this instrument of torture and public execution that Jesus is in charge. This is what John has been saying to us all along. Jesus always saw the cross as a throne, as a means by which he would be ultimately exalted and enthroned. Hadn't he said before that when he was lifted up, that was when he would draw all men to himself? Now that promise is coming to fruition. Now the world is seeing what it looks like for God to take charge, for a just ruler to be on the world's throne. Don't you want a king like this? Don't you want a king who waits to be exalted? Who wants the whole world to know that leadership in its essence is sacrificial, self-giving love. Who knows that evil isn't something that can be destroyed by military force and with bombs and threats. But that it actually is a disease that needs to be healed. This is the king. Jesus is the king. And this is how Jesus becomes king. By going to the cross and causing evil to work against itself for his own victory. Jesus is the king. And on the cross, Jesus reigns. There's another reality That John wants us to see here. And this one is littered all throughout the narrative. It's these short phrases like. This was to fulfill the scripture. In verse 24. And to fulfill the scripture. In verse 28. And these things took place. That the scripture might be fulfilled. In verse 36. More than any other gospel writer. It's John who references the Old Testament, to show us the meaning of Jesus' death. And what's he showing us? It's that Jesus' death is by no means an unforeseen disaster or some kind of isolated event. 
No, it's the climactic point of a story that's been going on ever since the creation of the world. The whole Bible is the story of God dealing with evil. Ever since Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden, God made it His project to get His good world back on track, to save it. But no matter whom He chose to lead the charge in that direction, whether it was Noah or Abraham or Moses or David or even the nation of Israel, evil always reared its head and got the whole world back off track. And that's why our Old Testament reading from Isaiah is so important. Isaiah speaks of this righteous, suffering servant. In him, all the sufferings of Israel would reach their height. And through his death and his tribulation, evil would be exhausted and routed in the kingdom of God would be born on earth forever. Jesus is this righteous sufferer. Not just for Israel, but for the whole world. All throughout time. For you. For me. All of the evil that grabs at us and holds us in its clutches. All of the injustices that rip through our nation and our world all of our sicknesses, all of our griefs, all of our self-centeredness and pride and stubbornness. This is what Jesus bore on the cross for us. And what's so amazing is that even while He's on the cross, in His weakest of moments, even when He's carrying all of that load, He's still in control. He's fulfilling Israel's story. And he's doing it in ways that could not possibly be manipulated. The soldiers casting lots for his clothing. The sword piercing his side after he's died. These aren't accidents. These are signs that testify to the deeper reality of who Jesus is. So look at his sufferings. Imagine his pain and grieve the injustices and the evil that reach their full height against him. But even more than that, look at his victory. Look at his love for you. Look at your king, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, king of all creation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.